everybody, Dan Urban and Scott Fontana are back again with more from the Couchside Judges. Hope you all enjoy Memorial Day weekend responsibly. We didn't have any live fights after two consecutive Saturdays full of action, but we've got another planned UFC event to look forward to at the end of this week. We'll save discussion of that for later in the week. So instead, we're returning with a double dose of past judgment. It's about time, right? With such a busy UFC slate in May, plus our special interview episode last week with veteran judge Rob Hines, we put one of our favorite segments on ice, but now it's back and better than ever. In today's episode, we'll look back at a pair of heavily debated decision victories for two of the greatest modern fighters, Khabib Nurmagomedov and Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson. Dan, I've missed doing past judgment with you. You know, I was, of course, glad to have live fights to discuss, but... I love looking back and rescoring fights using our system. I think we'll get the best of both worlds this week as long as Nevada makes the expected move later this week and approves sanctioned combat sports again. Yeah, I think they're going to approve it. If they don't, it's kind of late to cancel fights. Guys are already starting their cut to make the wait. I have to think that the UFC knows that this was in the bag. That they, they wouldn't convene a special meeting this week for the first time in months right before a planned fight in their state unless Dana already knew it was, it was going to happen and it was already decided. Yeah. That's that's just the only thing that makes sense. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the fight. Tyron Woodley versus Gilbert Burns, but uh, I think we'll discuss that later in the week. Yeah, that's a cool one, but yeah, I'll, I'll save my thoughts for next time. Uh, we, you know, we've got a couple fights we want to talk about here. So yeah, as we said before, you know, we're finally bringing back past judgment. Uh, now, after our enlightening chat with Rob Hines, we decided that we would clarify and slightly tweak our CSJ criteria that we use for this segment. So, Dan, take it away. Yeah, we use a modified version of the ABC's criteria used by most commissions with just a few key differences. Like certified judges, we evaluate rounds using the three Ds, damage, dominance, and duration, in that order. We've made it so a strong 10-9 round would be scored as a 10-8, while a traditional 10-8 round becomes a 10-7. Closer rounds would still be 10-9s, even if only by a small margin, This allows for more diverse scores in the hope of more accurately reflecting what happens in a fight. We also dropped aggressiveness and area control as tiebreakers, but these aren't intended to be used very often anyway. We only score 10-10 rounds if they are largely uneventful rounds. All right, Scott, set the table for our first of two fights today. Yeah, so our first one here, we've got Glayson Tebow going against Khabib Nurmagomedov. Going all the way back to UFC 148 in Las Vegas at the MGM Grand on July 7th, 2012. So we're talking eight years ago. This was on the prelims that were airing on FX at the time, early in the Fox deal, ahead of the big Anderson Silva versus Chael Sonnen rematch. Now, Tebow in this fight was actually the A-side. He'd won three in a row, four out of five. His latest win at this point was a split decision against another future champ in Rafael Dos Anjos. In hindsight, what a tough two-fight draw for Tebow, huh? Yeah, really tough there. Oh, my goodness. You don't find a whole lot uh, looking so rough at such an early stage in you know these guys' careers. Uh, but as far as Khabib, he had just won his UFC debut six months earlier in Nashville. I was at that fight. He was 17-0 at this point, was still training at Fairfield, New Jersey, at K-Dojo, as well as the gym you and I, Dan, traded at AMA Fight Club in Whippany. Now, the judges for this one were Jeff Collins, Mark Smith, and Glenn Trowbridge. The referee was Mario Yamasaki. So, Dan, let's let's uh, let's talk about what you saw in round one. Round one, I saw a pretty uneventful round, overall speaking. Absolutely. Uh, I didn't see any domination. I didn't see any fighter have you know a duration 
of dominance in rounds. No, no, none of that. Is this was this was very much uneventful, as you said. You know, each landed very few strikes, just a couple. You know, nothing crazy significant as far as I'm concerned, and nobody you could ever say in that round was truly on an advantage. No, definitely not. I did think Khabib was slightly, very slightly more effective with the striking. Yeah, there was one kind of, it was a wild two-punch combo that I remember landing well enough, uh, and Thibaut didn't have an answer for that. That probably edged the round, in my opinion, by like a really slim margin. Yeah, so I ended up scoring a 10-9 for Khabib. Yep, same here. I don't think even in our scoring you could give it more than 10-9. You know? <laughs> I wish we could do 10-10s, but this, you know, if we're going to stick with the scoring and, and avoid 10-10s as much as we can, except in the events of you know, staring contests and stuff, which this wasn't. You know, we had... Tebow was cut over the eye at the end of the round. I didn't see exactly where it came from, but, I mean, he was wearing a little bit. It was superficial, but, but yeah, it was there. You know, Khabib, was, he was looking for takedowns throughout this round, but just nothing was coming. Not that you'd score that. That was that's nothing. Right. So yeah, I think uh, we both saw it. Obviously, ten nine for Khabib. The judges that night, all three had it. Khabib as well. Same score. Yeah, I think I think they got it right here. Yeah, they think definitely ten nine Khabib. I just don't see how you can give that one to Tebow at all. Yeah, me neither. All right, Scott. Let's move on to round two. How did you see that one? Despite you know that cut that Tebow had suffered early in the round, and you know obviously. Not really posing a big problem, but it was by his eye. I gave this to Tebow. I, I just I didn't think anything was hampering him as far as what Khabib was doing. He's landing with greater effect than Khabib was in terms of how it affected his opponent. You know, that's that's kind of it. You know, there there was really not a a duration of control or dominance in in any way from Tebow, but you couldn't make the argument that Khabib did either. I I just I didn't really see much for Khabib here. Yeah, I agree. I thought Tebow was clearly the more impactful striker. Every time he landed something, it would force Khabib to step back and reset and reacting sort of negatively. And that's what we're looking for, for sure. I mean, that's that's a sign of damage and impact, yeah. So uh, I'm scoring a 10-9 for Tebow. Yeah, definitely. Far, yeah, absolutely far from wall-to-wall kind of stuff. So we wouldn't be looking at 10-8 in the CSJ scoring by any stretch. So 10-9 Tebow, that's, that's really the only score I think you should be giving for this. And so now we've got it tied up. Yeah, how did the judges have it? The judges, all three, saw this one for Khabib. And look, I, I don't really see it. I, I really would love to know what the argument is for that. Yeah, I'm not really sure there. Uh, maybe they were seeing it differently from where they were sitting. Uh, all I saw was Khabib going for takedowns and not securing them and, and landing just about no offense either. So I yeah. don't know. Funny you should mention the takedowns. The one person that actually scored a takedown was Tebow, albeit very briefly. It was such a brief takedown. I don't think they actually registered it on UFC stats, but yeah, it, it was, I guess, a takedown. Yeah. Nothing happened from it. That doesn't get scored. Right. Not at all. All right, Scott, let's move on to the final round. How do you have that one? Yeah, round three. And, and before we go on, I just want to mention, too, that, you know, Khabib is winning on all three judges' cards right now. Nobody knows this, but, you know, people watching at home might certainly think that Tebow is the one who's doing enough to win even though you and I have it tied up here. Round three, I didn't see a lot of action going on for most of three minutes or so, I would say. You know, there, there was a lot of clinching. You had Khabib landing some strikes on the inside. You had Tebow landing some knees. What did it for me was Khabib landed this, especially this one overhand right 
in the final what, 45 seconds or so that backed Tebow up. Tebow didn't have any answer to that. And that kind of edged it for me in, in a very uneventful round. Yeah, I thought that was a good strike as well. I didn't didn't edge it for me. They have an exchange where Khabib lands a, a, like a two-punch combo, but Tebow comes out with an uppercut in the midst of that. So I kind of felt that was kind of a wash, and Khabib backs off after he gets hit with that uppercut. I thought mostly throughout the round, any of the strikes besides that one you mentioned, it was Khabib having to reset after being punched. You know, I didn't see as much of that in the clinch game, though, when, when Khabib's looking for these takedowns that just aren't coming, and he's got him pressed up against the fence. You know, you see Tebow's landing here, but it's not really doing anything to change what Khabib is doing, as far as I'm concerned. Right, I'm, I'm talking more towards the end of the round where there was actually some action. Right, sure. There, there was that little kind of flourish inside the final 90 seconds or so, where we actually had two men that decided they were going to try and not just lean against each other and look for takedowns that wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. Well, that was Khabib's strategy anyway. But, you know, it was a close enough round that I can understand why you would go that way, and I would think you should be able to understand why I would go the other way because there really just wasn't enough going on. Neither one of them was given enough. It takes two to tango, and if Khabib's just clinching him up against the fence and Tebow's got to fight it off, there's only so much Tebow can do. But, you know, I really would have loved to see Tebow really more take this perceived victory in some minds away because he wasn't really doing much. Yeah, I think both men could have done more in terms of going for the win. Khabib was doing, you know, he was looking for his strategy. It wasn't working, but, you know, he was certainly going to the well with it. Which is very rare, actually. Very rare. It was, uh, I'll have more thoughts on that in a second, but it really was jarring to see Khabib struggle to get any of these takedowns because all we know now is this monster who gets everybody down with these chain takedowns. Well, eventually, if he's not going to get you on the first or second, he's going to get you on the third. But uh, but as far, as far as this round goes, yeah, I mean, it's not like anybody had a duration of time where you could say, oh, yeah, Khabib or, or Tebow was in control here. Yeah, I can say pretty confidently dominance and duration didn't factor in at all in this fight. Yeah, yeah. This was as close to a 10-10 situation as I would like to go if it was actual action here. But, yes, we wouldn't do that in our scoring. Right, so you have it. 29-28 for Khabib, final score, and I have it 29-28 for Tebow. I really don't think either of us are wrong. I don't think we're wrong either. I, I do think that all three judges now giving this fight to Khabib, 30-27, to 27, as we saw, giving him every round, that's a bad score. Yeah, I'm not a, a big fan of that score. But again, who knows exactly what they were seeing from their seat. It's true, and not only that, we're talking about Eight years ago, before scoring criteria was clarified a little bit, maybe they're looking for different things. Maybe they're saying more than they should that takedown attempts was considered aggression in a round that was largely uneventful striking-wise. They shouldn't be doing that, but I guess it's possible that they could have been. I don't know. Just speculation. Yep. But yeah, this was uh, this was not your typical Khabib fight. You usually see him pick someone up, throw him on the ground, and beat him up for five rounds. This was a very raw Khabib. You know, his striking, even today, is not particularly pretty, but at this point, it's wild. He's just winging overhands and, and kind of hoping and swinging for the fences with every blow and then just kind of hoping that he can get him backed up and, and off balance enough that he can get a takedown here. He's, you know, clinching at the body, and, and it's just not working out. It was, it was very strange. Um, obviously, he's come a long way. 
Uh, he's with a different team now. He, you know, he moved on to American Kickboxing Academy, and you know, people like Daniel Cormier seem to have unlocked a lot of potential uh, within him. And that's no slight to uh, the coaches that we know he was working with in New Jersey, but you know, it's it's obviously worked for him. Yeah, let's just mention that Glayson Tebow is no pushover. That's kind of no. a, that's a that's a rough matchup for your second UFC fight. That was a hard draw for him, absolutely to to get that coming off. They obviously saw the O on his record and then said, "Hey, let's let's push him." And you know, credit to him. Even if you thought Khabib lost that fight, you can't think that he got dominated. It was a very close fight, and he looked really good against a guy who was worlds better in most people's perception going into that. Yeah, for sure. Even Joe Rogan on the broadcast was noting that, you know, this guy looks like he's got some potential here to be something great. And eight years later, we know that's true. Oh, yeah. In the GOAT conversation. All right. I think we've said all we had to say about that fight. Let's move on to our second fight. One with a bit more action. Scott, why don't you set us up? A lot more action. This was Miguel Angel Torres going against Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson. This one took place at UFC 130 as the featured prelim on Spike TV. Again, at the MGM Grand on May 28th, 2011, almost exactly nine years ago. This was headlined by Rampage Jackson against Matt Hamill, one of the stranger pay-per-view main events looking back, but it was interesting at the time. Torres was on the cusp of finally getting a UFC title shot after years as the 135-pound king in the WEC. He lost two in a row at this point, one where he dropped the belt against Brian Bowles, the other a very entertaining loss to Joseph Benavidez. By now, he's won two in a row, including his UFC debut, after the WEC was absorbed by UFC. Now, Mighty Mouse also came over from WEC, and he'd won three straight after dropping his debut for WEC. He won his UFC debut against the late Kid Yamamoto, who, for those who don't know, he was past his prime at this point, but was for a long time one of the lighter weight legends from Japan. The judges, Dave Hagen, Glenn Trowbridge, and Tony Weeks with the referee, Josh Rosenthal. So let's go into round one of what I thought was one of the most awesome grappling fights that I've ever seen. Yeah, this was a treat for any grappling fan, any guy who's a fan of the guard. Torres really did a great job uh, utilizing an offensive guard. This whole round, pretty much, is Torres clearly being the more effective grappler. He starts the round getting taken down, but then he immediately sweeps and almost a full mount. He's on top, landing a little bit of strikes, not too much, but he's working for a pass pretty much the entire time. The duration of the round, he was the more offensive guy. It seemed like Mighty Mouse was on the defensive the entire time. I would like to point out, though, that DJ had some very nice elbows from the bottom. He did. He did. He had a couple elbows there, but I just didn't think that that was really that much. No, it wasn't It wasn't in the grand scheme, but I, I don't know how... I wouldn't say it was just total control for Torres for the whole round. He was winning more often, I would say. Right. That's, yeah, the majority he won. Yeah, yeah. I I wouldn't go crazy. This was certainly far from wall to wall, uh, like we're talking about, bell to bell, horn to horn, whatever you want to say. Yeah, at some point, you know, Torres ends up back on his back, but he's attacking the neck a little bit. But then he's back, he's right back on top again. This was a Torres round for me, 10-9. Yeah, I also win 10-9. Yeah, neither man was really dominant. I don't think you'd really start pushing it into a a 10-8 territory in our scoring. Certainly not in the scoring that the judges were using at this point. But but yeah, even in ours, 10-9, I think that's fair. All right, Scott, but how did the judges that night see it? So at this point, all three judges are seeing the fight 
exactly the same as you and I, 10-9 Torres. They got it right. They, you know, they're doing a great job here. Uh, and I, I think, especially in a round as busy as this was, you want to trust the judges to know it better than the viewing public, who, on the whole, in 2011, probably wasn't as well-versed in such a fast-paced, scramble-heavy grappling match as we saw. Yeah, uh, they got this one right. It's good to see someone getting some points from off the bottom that isn't just a sub. Absolutely. Yeah, so what about round two? Let's Let's go on to the next round. Round two, I saw some of the same. Again, Torres sweeps, gets on top, but they were kind of even in having their moments. There was no, like, standout duration to me. No, absolutely not. But I thought Torres had the more effective grappling. You know, he was attacking with the triangle. Yeah, yeah, he was definitely making Mighty Mouse react to those. He he had to actually get out of them and not just kind of wait it out. Yeah, he was definitely defending subs there where... If he didn't, he was going to end up getting tapped. The one thing you could say for Mighty Mouse in this round was was he was on top for most of it, which doesn't count for us. But in some judges' minds, you never know. At this point, Mighty Mouse does pass his side in the round. It didn't really result in anything offensive, but you know, sometimes even just passing can be viewed uh, in a way, even though it shouldn't be. Yeah, passing to side is he's moving towards trying to end the fight, but he's not actually doing anything. To end the fight. We're looking for results, though, when it comes to impact, and the results aren't really there. I mean, he landed, like, a couple strikes before getting put back in half, and they kind of just sat there for the rest of the round. Yeah, it, it wasn't enough for me to be swayed by what Mighty Mouse was doing in this round, personally, because I ended up giving this one to Torres again, 10-9. I scored it for Torres as well, 10-9. Yeah, not dominant, not dominant, and, you know, uh, it was kind of not back and forth, but there was no sustained continuous, I guess for lack of a better word, control of the the proceedings here. So yeah, I I, I think it was fair to go Torres yeah, 10-9. Yeah. Close around, but still for Torres. So cumulatively, we're looking at 20 to 18 Torres on our cards. So th- at this point, Johnson's behind to the point where he's got to really start to do something to take third round away and start to change things up. Yeah, he's he's got to look for a finish now. Basically, well, at least on our scoring system, you know, you can you can make up for that with a really solid round. We'll give you a ten eight. Yeah, if he gets a solid round, he can he can get a draw. And, and you know, that's something. It's it's better than nothing for sure. Probably a ten seven would have been a little harder to attain. But you know, certainly we give out ten sevens in our scoring. Absolutely. How did the judges have it? So the judges actually went the other way from us. They went ten nine Mighty Mouse here. Okay. I. You know, I don't want to bash them because you can see an argument for them in terms of how people viewed it in 2011. But, you know, I I think with the current understanding of the scoring criteria and the way we implement it, I don't think that's a fair score to give. So, you know, that that's it's a time capsule score. But I look at today and I say that doesn't make sense. That's wrong. Right. So we're talking about on the judges cards. They have it tied up at 19 going into the third round, which is now the decisive round. So what about that round, Dan? What's going on in this third round here? I think it's kind of much of the same that we've been seeing. Torres again gets like a hip bump sweep and he's straight to mount. I love hitting that hip bump sweep. To be fair, he didn't really do anything. He threw like a couple body shots with the mount. But I mean, the sweep to mount, that's still pretty effective in my eyes for grappling wise. He had the late guillotine attempt. I I just thought Torres had uh, DJ in more trouble. I actually, you know, of of course I want to say that Torres was was looking very good at times here, uh, but Johnson 
found success in the limited stand-up exchanges as well. You know, this was mostly a grappling fight, but he was able to finally assert himself as a striker later in the round. And I thought this was a hard round for me to pick a winner, ultimately. Uh, but DJ was attacking well off his back in this round, I thought. And when you combine the the striking that I mentioned and the fact that I thought he was doing pretty well fighting off his back, I actually gave a slight edge to Mighty Mouse. Okay. I mean, I didn't. I obviously I didn't see it that way. Mm-hmm. I did think he had the striking advantage in the round. Well, that was indisputable. Yeah, I think you know Torres really wasn't looking to do that. But as far as the groundwork, I thought Torres definitely was the one that had him in the most trouble. The guillotine, sure, I'll, I'll grant you, it was a very good guillotine in the final minute, and DJ had to battle out of that uh, a bit. So I, you know, I I certainly understand your score going for Torres here, but I feel good about going with. Johnson here, getting letting DJ have it. Both men had their moments. You know, this was a hard one, yeah, for sure. I'm not going to fight you on that one. So we're looking at our final scores, and you have all three rounds for Miguel Angel Torres, 30-27. Right. And I have 29-28 for Torres. What about the judges? The judges, as we know, ended up giving it to Mighty Mouse. All three went 29-28, so he got rounds two and three from all three judges. It was close, but, uh, you know, this this is the round where, obviously, I agree with the judges here, but I, I just I disagreed with them on round two. I think it gave them the wrong guy the win. But I think no matter who you thought won this fight, win or lose, you can't take away that Mighty Mouse ended up becoming a legend in this sport. Oh, he's definitely a legend. He's in the pound-for-pound pound best conversation. Easily. I'd, I'd put him on Mount Rushmore. I have no As far as modern fighters, he's Mount Rushmore. Easily. Yeah, it's a shame he didn't really get the respect he deserved. Yes, but I feel even worse for Miguel Torres here because this is a fight a lot of people really thought that Torres won. This was, It was disputed, and I think a lot of people kind of go either way here. But this loss really just killed any chance Torres had at, at finally getting a shot at UFC gold. I, just, I really just thought it would have been fun for him to be able to go against Dominic Cruz because these were two, you know, kind of the old guard and the new guard at bantamweight coming over from the WEC. It's a shame that we never got to see that. It would have been interesting seeing Cruz deal with that reach. Yes, yeah. Torres was just so long and tall. Uh, if you never watched Miguel Torres fight, if you're kind of a newer fan uh, who came into the sport in the last few years, you really should go back and watch some of Torres' WEC fights when he first came around uh, and won the belt there. He was already considered to be you know, one of the best at 135 pounds, if not the best coming in but so we're talking about good three years of time where he was absolutely the best at a weight class most people weren't watching but he was fun to watch too really fun yeah great hands great subs this was a guy who was always looking to end it so you knew you were going to get a fun one that's all we have for this episode the Couchside Judges will be back again at the end of the week to look ahead to Saturday Plus, we'll have another segment of Past Judgment for you. We've got a few ideas for next time, but we're always open to feedback from our listeners. Feel free to submit suggestions for three-round fights we could consider putting to the test. You can hit us up on Facebook or Twitter at Couchside Judges, as well as myself at DanUrbanMMA. Follow me on Twitter also at Scott underscore Fontana. Thanks for listening to our show. Until next time, stay healthy and safe. See ya! See ya!